Hello, everyone, uh, and welcome to the fifth episode of 17 Minutes of Science, The Quarantine Chronicles. My name is Sarah Cheeseman, and I am a technical solutions scientist at InVivo Biosystems. So thanks again for stopping by with us today as we continue on with our social distancing protocols. But it's cool that we can still gather in this way to talk about interesting science and meet wonderful people. Uh, and do the, deliver this kind of content in sort of a speed dating format. So today's topic is the operational and emotional impact of COVID-19 on biomedical research. And we're very lucky to have Dr. Cindy Buckmaster, the Director of Public Outreach at the National Animal Interest Alliance and the President of the Texas Society for Biomedical Research. Cindy is an active and passionate advocate for animal welfare and biomedical progress. And we're very excited to have her on the show today. And before I introduce her, uh, I'm just going to remind everybody to drop us questions over Facebook or let us know that you're there so that we know uh, we can follow up with you if you have questions too. So I'm going to turn it over to Cindy, who's coming in from Houston, to introduce herself. Take it away. Thanks, Sarah, and thanks for having me. And thanks, everyone out there in live Facebook land uh, for joining us. Um, so I'm Cindy Buckmaster. Um, quick background on me, so, uh, just uh, so you know that whatever I have to say is uh, somewhat relevant. I'm not just making it up. Um, I was a science teacher in my first life, and then I went on to get a PhD in neurobiology where I did uh, study the parts of the brain involved in learning and memory, and uh, that work I did completely with monkeys, and this was my introduction to uh, the truth about research animals, and also the truth about the people who actually care for them. And I guess I should start by saying to those of you who are not aware, um, because I think most people in the public are not aware, that um, there's an entire profession of animal lovers who are specially trained um, on a variety of, of, of jobs to care for research animals. So they don't generally live with the researchers. Uh, they live in special facilities known as vivaria that are regulated to the nines um, and they're cared for by this profession of people. So specially trained husbandry people, specially trained vet techs, specially boarded veterinarians, specially trained um, behaviorists, specially trained compliance people. Um, so just so you know, so there's an entire profession of people who actually interface with these animals seven days a week um, and, uh, and someone's on call for them 24 hours a day. Um, in the course of uh, finished my postdoc at the NIH, we'll speed fast before we're here because we have 17 minutes, right? Um, in the course of, of my work with these animals, um, I realized that there was something that I needed to introduce to this field that I thought could be stronger. And that was an awareness of how natural it, how natural it is for people to bond with animals and research animals are no different. And uh, a validation of that emotional connection seemed to have been missing. And so I then, uh, after a postdoc, joined the laboratory animal science field and started creating training and education programs uh, that were geared specifically toward infusing uh, excellent care with compassion and an awareness of the importance of these bonds and the validation of the emotional connections we have with our animals. I, I think it's good for people, I think it's good for animals, and I think it's extraordinarily good for science. Um, and then from there I took that on the road and uh, have spoken to many, some of maybe some of you who are watching even um, have spoken to me about this or seen me speak about this, but uh, I've spoken sort of internationally uh, about uh, the need for this kind of compassionate work, and also um, spoken from a sort of a research advocacy public outreach uh, perspective as well, um, where I talk about the absolute need for animals in research still, despite how any of us feel about it. Um, I prefer that they weren't still necessary. The fact is that they are. And, uh, and so I speak a lot about that truth, and then I try to educate the people um, 
and reinform those who've been misinformed by extremist groups about how this work is actually done and why it's necessary and why it changes their lives and, and the lives of everyone they love, including their pets. So that's that in a nutshell me. That's an excellent segue actually to, to the first question I was considering, which dovetails on, on, your, on your bio there, which is a strong public outreach figure and research advocate. What message do you feel is really important to share during this time of the pandemic? The pandemic? To share, well, so I guess there are two audiences I would speak to. <laughs> um, as far as uh, the public, I mean, they're being bombarded right now by, uh, by some unfair and I think very um, cruel uh, attempts by the extreme animal rights community, certainly by PETA um, and a couple of others. And the public's being targeted and they're being told, you know, that this uh, research is not essential, right? Because as everyone knows, um, when you folks left your offices because of the need to social distance, research institutions had to shut down as well. And so many of the labs had to shut down. And, uh, and so they're not, they're not working with their animals, um, most of them, right? And then the folks who care for them, the lab animal professionals also had to um, sort of scale back the numbers of people who could be in these buildings at one time. And so they divided themselves up into teams, which I think is smart. So there's some redundancy of team A has an outbreak, then team B and team C can come in and care for animals, right? But what that meant was that um, a good number of animals um, had to, and mostly mice, but rodents, we're talking about rodents almost entirely because about 95% or more of the animals in research are rodents, but a good number of these animals had to be euthanized. Um, and that was really difficult for our people. You know, we, we understand this sort of cycle of bonding and heartbreak and bonding and heartbreak that comes with doing this work. Um, the unfortunate truth of, of biomedical research is that most, most of the time the answers are in the tissues. And so we know in the beginning when we uh, are connected to our animals, which we need to do to provide the appropriate care and do a good job, um, we know that their lives are, are, are short-lived and that most of the time those lives will end um, so that we can learn about the, you know, these, we can answer these questions while looking for to help us determine treatments and cures for all of the things that we still ask about, right? And so, well, what happened is our folks had to euthanize a lot of those animals and some studies are continuing, certainly studies related to COVID-19. Some people stopped what they were studying and then started saying COVID-19, contributing somehow to studies of COVID-19. Um, there are a couple of studies, you know, depending on uh, where they were and how critical they were at the time with respect to you know, time sensitive situations and how close you were to ending the study and you know not wanting to waste animal lives that have been on study for two years and you're almost done these kinds of considerations happened across institutions but at the end of the day um, some animals remained and and some did not and that was very difficult for our people already um, because they had a hard time understanding you know, euthanizing healthy animals, which to them seemed for no good reason, because the good reason they're accustomed to is that these animals' lives um, go to, you know, science. They, they go to answering these questions for people and animals and everybody we love. And in this case, they didn't get to do that. And so our folks were really, really devastated by that. And, you know, and it was a lot of animals and that was very hard for them. And one of the things I've tried to tell them and I'll get back to PETA in the public in a minute, is that, you know, our animals lose their lives for us all the time in research, right? They lose their lives to save ours. And, uh, and this, this, this time was no different. They lost their lives again to save ours, and in many ways, specifically ours, those people who are caring for them, right? It was just, it was just the reason that changed, right? So 
So these animals are heroes and, and you people, the caregivers who euthanize it, euthanize them and were put in the situation of having to do this very difficult thing that I know is so hard for you are also heroes um, because you, you euthanize these animals with the same love and compassion you do ordinarily. And, and that's the gift that you provide to them in, in the midst of this, you know, this um, biomedical research necessity that continues today. And now, it all so happened so suddenly too, right? I mean, there was just so little time to prepare for what has right. ultimately ended up rolling out in this way. No, and that's right. It was really sudden. And I think also that's, you know, I mean, the institutions were scrambling as well. Everybody was trying to figure out what to do. And, you know, they, they stopped orders and they slowed breeding and they did all these things. But at the end of the day, they had to make hard decisions. And I think, I think exactly what you said, you know, the, the fact that they had to think about this so quickly um, caused them to use some terminology that was a bit hurtful to the caregiving community, right? Mm -hmm. you know, they said, call the non-critical, the non-essential animals. Well, you know, to us, they're all essential, <laughs> right? And then, PETA especially ran away with this message and they're, they're doing this right now. They're attacking institutions. Institutions are trying to save lives right now are getting attacked regularly by PETA. Um, there have been press releases going out to the public and they're basically saying, you know, we want all these labs to shut down. We call for you to shut down because if all that work wasn't essential, then you shouldn't have had the animals to begin with. And that is a game of words, right? And a very unfortunate game of words. While they're playing games with words, real people are struggling with serious illnesses. And, and that's not appropriate, okay? That is not what happened. All of these animals are essential because all of the studies they support are essential. Uh, yeah, I think so I it does sound like the, the verbiage, is, as we know, is so important at any time is, is wordsmithing, how we, we share our messaging. And, well, and, they, and they know that and they're exploiting that, right? I mean, that's exactly what's happening, right? And so, you know, they're all essential. I'm pretty sure if I ask, you know, the folks out there, if, if uh, they think that we should continue studying Alzheimer's disease or Huntington's disease or ALS or muscular sclerosis or any whole, this whole collection of infectious diseases that they that they, they're interested in us uh, getting answers to and, and helping them with, they say, yeah, they're all essential, right? So that was unfortunate. That's not what happened. Our people, unfortunately, were caught in crosshairs of it all. And the worst part for me is that our people haven't had an opportunity to truly grieve with anybody besides themselves and each other. And they're, they're sort of distanced right now because the public doesn't even know who they are. And when they try to speak to the public about who they are and what they do, they get, uh, you know, they get shunned for the most part uh, because the public hasn't been educated about who these people are. They haven't been properly educated about why research with animals is still necessary. And the reason for that is it's not PETA's fault. The reason for that is the research community has failed abysmally to educate the public about all of these things. We, you know, we created this informational void and then stepped aside and let fanatics fill it with fiction for decades now. And so the, the public is, you know, just trying to sort out what's which is true and what isn't, and they don't get a lot of response from the research community, right? So that's our fault. And that is an ongoing problem across many topics right now, as you say, um, those voids. So do you see in light of, in light of all that, um, especially in light of the, the real tragedy of having to euthanize so many animals that are in all these critical experiments ongoing, do you see that animal research may change after we come out of this pandemic in light of in light of that, of reducing these these mammal colonies, or how do we get back on our feet after that? So there'll be a change, but the change won't be that. Listen, it's really difficult to get grants for for research, and uh, and you can't just work with an animal because you want to. 
I mean, all of this has to be has to be vetted, and it's uh, and all of the vetting is very stringent. So when an animal is a part of a research study, it's because that animal is absolutely necessary, and there's no other way to answer those questions without having animals be a part of that that study, right? So so nothing's going to change with respect to whether or not the animals who had to be euthanized are still essential. They'll have to come back. What's going to change is, and and this is the hard part. Um, there's going to be a delay. I mean, even even my mice breed, you know, every 21 days. But if you're looking at, let's say, a genetically manipulated model, right, a, a model that has been manipulated so that it it um, models a particular disease, a genetic disease in people, um, it, it can take quite a while to make these strains, these lines rather, and. Um, and then you have to breed up enough of these animals, right? Because you need to be able to have enough power in your study to, uh, to have data that will give you, you know, something that's statistically valid to evaluate, right? And so mm -hmm. it's, it's going to take, and if you don't do that, if you don't use enough animals, then you wasted all those precious lives also for nothing, right? So all of this is important and it's going to take a little while for people to get back on their feet. Um, and it's going to take a little while for them to, uh, to get the, the numbers of animals in terms of uh, rodents back up to where they need to be in order to inform their studies. I don't exactly know what's happening with funding. I haven't followed that, but that could be a part of the wrinkle here too. Um, so it's, I think, you know, what, what's going to happen is that unfortunately we could be slowed down. You know, it could be a year or two before people are back to where they they were before this. That seems like a, a very real possibility considering yeah. the confluence of these events and speaking and funding piece that, that you mentioned. I know um, having talked to a number of uh, faculty researchers across the country recently is people are feeling understandably more cautious about what the future might look like for the grants they currently have and then future opportunities. And of course you need the data and to move forward in order to get that next grant. And so all of these activities hinge on one another. So it's an uncertain time for everybody. It is certainly, and I guess one of the things I want to say to the public, which kind of connects the previous question and this topic is that, you know, we're sorry, you know, we had to make very difficult decisions um, about which studies would continue. And, and all of the things you're struggling with are essential and they're all important to us. Um, and we're sorry, we're sorry that some of them are on hold right now, but you won't be forgotten. Mm. You won't be forgotten. We'll it seems like. We also, to, to your point earlier about kind of the information void at this moment um, provides the scientific community with an opportunity to really express some of these messages, hopefully more effectively, because it certainly feels like science is very relevant in this moment. Uh, people are paying more attention than ever because they're hearing from scientists every day if they're listening to the news. Yeah, well, they're hearing about coronavirus for sure, but I don't hear any of them talking about the need for animals in research. And this, this is something that really does need to end uh, because this is the problem. I can talk about it all day long, literally. I could probably talk about it all day long. <laughs> um, and there are, you know, there are a few other people like me who engage the public very regularly about this topic. Um, but the research institutions and community uh, in general they don't do this. Um, and there's an understandable reason why. I mean, they've been targeted by extremists for many years. Um, but listen, the threat has changed. Um, the threat is no longer physical disruption and violence like it used to be to researchers. The threat now is uh, legislative challenges. And, uh, and the extremist community is making tremendous headway in that regard. And if the research community doesn't pull their heads out of the sand and start 
having honest conversations, fully transparent conversations with the public, you know, wake up one day and, and find that we've crossed the line. You know, the thing that you thought would not happen, that would never, you know, this would never be restricted and that would never end. And our ability to study X, Y, Z and, and work with this or that animal, that would never happen. It is going to happen. It's starting to happen right now. So the vigilance that we need to be. Uh, we need to stop with this, you know, stop being afraid of something that isn't actually the threat anymore. The biggest threat to the biomedical research right now is a lack of full transparency from the people who are doing it. Mm-hmm. And they need to stop. Well, that's a, that's, a strong, that's a strong message, but an important one to share with the community. That was 17 minutes. Can you believe it? <laughs> Final question, though. Totally non sequitur as an animal lover. What kind of pets do you have in your house? I have dogs and cats. Um, and the rule here is that I can have three dogs, two cats, and one of whatever else I bring home. Ah, I see. <laughs> so so right you, now, you have a menagerie. <laughs> usually, yeah. And then if you know we lost one, um, our oldest guy, we lost it back in October. And so I've been waiting for the next one to show up because generally, generally what happens is I lose one and another one shows up. I, I swear that there's a cell phone lot somewhere and they all get together and they say, hey, Cindy has an opening. And, yeah, they might be, you know, they might be quarantining themselves somewhere. I'm sure one will show up soon. They're all going to show up on your doorstep when this is over. <laughs> yeah. well, so thank you so much for taking the time to, to educate us and our listeners on this really critical topic uh, at this time. Appreciate you uh, speaking so passionately about a subject that, as you say, is very difficult for many, but that we rely on to, to keep uh, biomedical research moving today and into the future. So thanks so much. Thanks everyone for stopping by and we'll be back next week. Thanks, Sarah. Appreciate the opportunity. Bye everybody.